Welcome to Creativity, Community, and Compliance. I'm Rebecca Gucciardo, Director of Partnerships, and I'm here with CEO Mac Bartime. With every episode, you'll gain confidence, knowledge, and tips to help you establish a culture of compliance within your business. You'll also hear from industry experts in the world of compliance, fintech, and finance who will inspire and empower you to take your business to new heights. So sit back, relax, and turn the volume up. This isn't your normal, mundane compliance conversation. Welcome, Cheryl Hickerson, to the Creativity, Community, and Compliance podcast. We are truly honored that you could join us and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Me too. So... If you would, Cheryl, please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about females in finance. Yeah, thank you for this. And I'm excited to talk today. And it is casual Friday for everyone watching this. So no judging. I don't want to hear any makeup tips. (laughs) So uh, Cheryl Hickerson, I started this wonderful community at Females in Finance uh, five years ago in April. And it really was because of a call to action on, you know, we just needed a space that was just what I wanted to build, if we're being really honest at the time, is kind of selfish. But we provide a lot of support. I consider ourselves a support network to some degree. We are definitely on a mission to hire, mentor, train, advance 100,000 women by 2025. But we do that with seeing each of our professionals where they're at in the moment when we get them. It was funny, I was talking to someone this week recently, and I had said, I feel like sometimes we're sort of the land of the misfits, but M-I-S-S, the misfits, where it's the women who kind of didn't belong someplace else near kind of looking for that. And then, of course, the allies that come along with that, too, are like, I want to be a part of this, but maybe I don't know how or I wanted to be better. And we welcome all of them. So we just build our own community. And I'm a big believer in community. Community building is something that I enjoy a lot. Yay. I can't wait to get to the community part of our podcast. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> That's exciting. Great fit. <laughs> well, so Cheryl, to kick off each episode, we're talking about audience engagement with our previous episodes. So audience, please feel welcome to send in your ideas on compliance topics you are interested in and would like to hear about in future episodes. You can reach us at hello at smart-ria.com. And with that said, Cheryl, we're ready to move into the creativity part of the podcast. All right. So let's talk about your own creativity. What is it that was the genesis behind Females in Finance? You've already kind of shared that, but did you feel like there was any kind of a creative component to how you made that? I do believe that there was. It was interesting because at the time when I decided to do this, by the way, membership is not for faint of heart. For those out there who think I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to build a community. I applaud you, but know that you are bringing lots and lots of different people together. And so there's going to be a lot of things that go with that. And you have to be willing to put aside your, your biases and put aside the things that really do sculpt and make who you are so that you create an inviting space for others to also feel safe because that's really a big part of it is to feel safe and vulnerable to be who they are too. So when I decided to do this, it was really more, it was really about me. Okay. I was spending a lot of time networking and doing a lot of like webinars and such. However, I just didn't feel like I was finding the people that really spoke to me. So I speak at a lot of conferences. You know, I've got some wards back here that say I do marketing pretty well and they have me come and I'm really grateful for this. But, you know, when I would go to the events, I would look out into the audience and it would oftentimes be a room of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of white 
men. And I would think, man, like, I feel like there's a dictionary and you're like, you go through it. And I'm like, oh, financial services, old white men. Like it's right there. <laughs> they found all of them. They put the APB out and they all came. And I joke about it, but it's only because, you know, I'm almost 52 years old and the numbers literally have only changed by minutia percentages. I mean, I think it went from 15 to 16%. And that's, wow. I'm getting to the age where it's like, tick tock, I need this thing to move it along. We need to make change happen. So I realized maybe it's, I have to point the finger at myself first. How do I make the change happen? So when I decided to do this, the early days for the first 200 members of Females in Finance, I heart you big time because it sounded a lot like this. Hey girl, I'm gonna do this thing. I don't even know what it is. Will you come help me? Yeah, sure. I like you, Cheryl. Okay. Hey, girl, I'm going to do this thing. And I don't even know what it is. Like those calls were so difficult, but they were so necessary because, you know, it was onesie, twosie, rounding up groups of people who said, hey, I love what I do. I want to do it in a different way. And I want to hang out with really cool, awesome, abundant minded people who want to see me do well as well as them. I tell people all the time, just because I'm saving dolphins does not mean I'm killing whales. <laughs> and it's an ocean of business out there, honestly. Mm -hmm. So Mac gets to do well and I get to do well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really special because I feel like I still go into memberships today in 2023 and it's still the sign up here, pay your whatever. And that's not how it works with us. You can go sign up, but then you're getting a call from me and we're going to do a call much like we're doing on this podcast, to be perfectly honest, although I will look a lot nicer on that podcast, that interview. <laughs> but no, I mean, I joke around, but no, honestly, it's a discovery call to find out. Tell me about your business. What are you looking to do? What do you want to accomplish? And how can we get you there? Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in manifestation. That could be a whole nother topic in and of itself. But that's what communities do. They manifest communication and they answer a lot of the callings for people who sometimes don't even know how to put it out there for themselves. And that's what we do. Speaking of manifesting, I, I know that Females in Finance has a pretty huge goal. We do have a huge goal. Okay. All right. So I am so happy we're talking about this because at the time, <laughs> I no, 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 hold on. I got a point to make here. When you go out and you announce that you want to hire, mentor, train, advance 100,000 women by the end of 2025. Right off the bat, I already knew that people were going to say, you crazy. That's crazy. You can't do that, right? And I listened to crazy for quite a bit. We go to Riskalyze. Aaron Klein gets on stage, makes a huge announcement about it. And and he's so gracious. And he really is uh, a really big reason why this was able to be successful to begin with, because he got up there and with his heart and talked about the importance of bringing more women into the subject. But even at that conference, I'm sitting there and people are going, 100,000? I'm like, yeah, I did the math. I actually met with an, uh, an actuary and they were like, hey, you need to have this many for that, that many for that. So we came up with this 100,000. It's a big, hairy, audacious goal, the BHAGs we know. Now, remember, I say 100,000, I'm crazy. But the Schwab Impact event, where the very next morning an article comes out that says, we need 75,000 registered investment advisors to answer the calling. And I sat back and said, are you kidding me? Cheryl Hickerson in Arnold, Missouri already said that, hmm. but if Schwab says it, then it's true. So, and I say that tongue in cheek, but it really is, it goes back to the female aspect of this. You know, we say it, we're crazy. 
But then if you get a bunch of, you know, actuaries to sit around and do it and say, which I had actually worked with one, you know, whatever it takes to get the job done, I'm totally here for. And I'm super excited about our Fearless Pledge Commitment, which is really our call to action and gives us a really mission-oriented piece of our work at Females in Finance. So talking a little bit about the Fearless Pledge, how could organizations like us, like Smarter IA, get involved in something like that? Oh, I love that. And so one of them is getting involved, whether it's you're involved in an organization like ours or any others that are out there. I'm a little bit particularly loving mine, but hey, that's okay. You can get involved by, you know, having conversations with me, but also having conversations that are really go a little bit deeper than the superficial part of it. Like it feels good to say, I want to support women. It feels good to say, I want to support diversity. It feels better when you can actually come back and say, I made a commitment to do this, just like you would with a coach. Mm -hmm. I made a commitment to do this. And here's what I did with that work, that goal. And numbers do matter. I oftentimes will hear people say like, oh, the points don't matter or, you know, there's no winners. That's not true. We really need to see the actual numbers come through. So one of the things that we're working around Fearless Pledge is building out an activation station for you to come and do your reporting of, yeah, we met with this many people and this is how many people we were able to help this year and do this and whatever. And then allow us to come out and talk and bring those individuals into our community so that they are getting the support and the training and the networking. Just to kind of give you an example, I was on a call this week. And there were nine business owners, women on the call. You know, they all look very Brady Bunchish on the Zoom call. And it was really impressive to hear successful, you know, very, and that's an intrinsic feeling success, right? Like I feel successful. I did this. I can't really deem Mac successful or Rebecca. You have to feel that. Mm -hmm. But what I also found was very interesting was how many of them felt very alone. Wow. So they're sitting in their Mm -hmm. homes or they're sitting in their offices And they need that community aspect. They need that space where they can come and say, hey, you know what? Like one of our conversations this week was on challenges. And you can be very vulnerable and open. And one of the women was brand new to the call. And she sat back for a very long time before she said anything. And she said, I can't believe everybody's being this honest. And I said, yeah. And that's the kind of space that we've created, a space where when you say something I can go, you know what? I really can appreciate what you just said, Julie. Here's what I've experienced with that too. And then somebody else can say, oh my gosh, I went through that like five years ago. This is what I did to overcome it. Mm -hmm. It sounds so different coming from a peer than it even does from, you know, your BFF or your spouse or, you know, your neighbor. It's somebody who's been through what you've been through. That's the importance of community. It's beautiful. And, And honestly, Cheryl, it's such a wonderful way to give back to the community. I love that. Yeah, it's really important. I want to make certain I say this too, because you guys are one of our sponsors. The work that you do to sponsor organizations like this means that we get to go out and get more women involved in a space that is safe. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, beautiful. I love that word. Thank you. It's been very intentional on my part. Everything we do is full of intent. How do we change this or make this happen or whatever? And without sponsors, we can't do that work. And the other thing too, is there's all of financial services. This is really big space of financial services. We don't need all of financial services. We need the right individuals to make the change happen. I have absolutely no problem with the people who are not going to be able to get us there. But you know what? I'm going to get there further faster with folks like you standing next to me saying, hey, I'm going to lock arms with you and we're going to go and we're going to do this thing. And we're going to be doing it in a way that is supportive to the work that we do also, your company, because they are using your tools and your resources. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's a really powerful space. And at the time, remember, hey, girl, I'm going to do this thing. I go back to her often. And I thank her for being vulnerable enough to pick up the phone. So I have sort of this thing, a little ritual I do where I light a candle for old Cheryl, who got me where I'm going, future Cheryl, who's going to make hopefully good decisions, and then present Cheryl. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds very woo-woo, whatever, but old Cheryl had to pick up the phone and call hundreds of people and say, I'm going to do this thing and I don't know what it is. Will you believe in me? Think about if you got that call today. Mm -hmm. How many people would you believe and go, you know what, I'm going to support them? So I'm very, very grateful. I'm full of a lot of gratitude for the people who believed in me early on. It's hard. That's super cool. Just as an aside to the conversation that we're having, it's really, to me, kind of unbelievable when some guys resist having more women in the workplace because you know, truly we, men are good at some things and women are good at most things. <laughs> I mean, women are, are incredible contributors to the industries that they're in. And I think what you're doing is really important. I do tell the gentleman, because I do get those calls. Why do you people? It almost always starts off with, why do you people? Oh, I love it. It's my favorite <laughs> oh my thing. Because it just like totally, I it totally moves them into a whole different bucket. Because I know what I'm dealing with at that exact moment. Why do you people feel you need your own place? Why do you people, you can't keep up? Why do you people? And I'm like, you mean people like, you were birthed by a woman. Mm -hmm. You mean like them? And it really stops them a lot of times. Do you know when people say to me, the women's market, I say, just stop, just stop. Every single person on this planet came from a woman. We are the only market. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, seriously, everyone is a byproduct of us. Yeah. So I tell everybody I'm female centric first, diversity centric second, because we have to be building better products, solutions, everything in financial services and wealth management that speak to women because we are, we already know, going to be holding the lion's S's share of money at the end of this. I'm going to totally outlive my husband. I say that, but me, I got to put an aside in here. I shoveled that driveway out there, that three-car garage <laughs> driveway while he was still looking for gloves and hats and scarves. Daryl, yes, I'm talking about you because I got stuff done. That's about how we're going to even out. And I'm also older than my husband. So that's how we're evening out the longevity playing field, you know. But, you know, in all seriousness, he knows that it's me. And the thing that I adore the most about the fact that he recognizes that, that when I came into this relationship, he said, we have to make sure that you have everything you need because I know you're going to outlive me. We need to build our retirement plan around the fact that you will likely outlive me. So everything we do to the point that when the house note comes and it says Cheryl Hickerson first on that note, yes, it does. It matters. <laughs> so Cheryl, like, how do you find a husband like that? Like, tell me. <laughs> I, he's my best online purchase ever. I tell everybody that. Yeah, I'm busy. I'm busy. It's a dating app. It's a true story. But yeah, but no, I mean, in all seriousness, it's little things like that, that the women and the men in our professional network are dealing with. I told all the guys, for example, I said, this year, if you really want to make a difference, when you send out your Christmas cards, put the woman's name first. And I saw a couple of men kind of stop and go like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah. Do you know how many cards I get addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Daryl Hickerson? You think Daryl ever opened that card? It was me. Come on, put my name on it. And that was one of the things one of the guys go, I did do that. So it seems silly, but it's not. None of it's a bit silly. Hmm. Yeah. Getting back to the creativity side of the conversation, 
How do you use creativity in your day-to-day life? What are you using it for? What are your methods of bringing it in? Yeah, I listen to our members a lot when it's basically, you know, an AMA and ask me anything kind of thing. They will come in and post like, hey, I'm working on this event or I'm doing that. One of the things I love about being a marketer at heart is that I always think about it. I just think about things differently. And then I share it pretty openly. For example, I'll see something, you know, maybe a checklist or this or that. And I'll think, wait a second, you know, here's how you can make money. You doing something like this. Did you know that? You know, one of the examples I gave last year for a couple of years ago was LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. If you're a professional and you're not on LinkedIn, stop. And if you're a professional on LinkedIn, stop putting it at Gmail. Please stop. Create a, you know, an info ad or something like that that has your website address, but stop giving credit to Gmail, you know, seriously and Hotmail and Hotmail. I'm not even gonna. AOL, stop. I just sent an email to a Hotmail address this morning and I'm like, stop. do people really use those addresses anymore? <laughs> okay. Come back from 1990. Oh. Come back, come back to us, you know. But no, what I said was, is in LinkedIn, I'll give you a per- prime example. When you go into LinkedIn and you've got those notifications, first of all, behavioral metrics work in your favor every single day. What do I mean? When you open any app, I don't care if it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, your eyes already have been trained like a Starbucks order to go up to the top and look at for those notifications. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're a Starby person, you go in, it's Venti. Grande, tall, trained to, it's always the size first, right? They've trained you behaviorally to go look at that. If you're doing that and you see somebody in there that says that they changed a job and you're really good at 401k and you're not reaching out to your clients, because guess what? When our clients change jobs, they are so excited about making more money, being closer to home, a new opportunity. I don't care what it is. They're not thinking about, man, I got to transfer that 401k paperwork over. And I am telling you right now that there was an article in the New York Times that said 71%, 72% of 401ks that are DIY'd from the transfer fail. Wow. So the money sits in abeyance. And then it creeps up one day when it says, you got this American fund prospectus. And you're like, huh? What is that from? Yeah. You know, job from six jobs back that you've long since forgotten about. And there's money sitting there and it just sits in abeyance, right? So if you can see that proactively reach out to them and say, I'm so excited about your new job. I'd love to have a call to hear more about it. They love talking about themselves. Are you kidding? So let them come and get on the phone. And you can then through that conversation naturally say, I'm so excited. Here's a couple of things to remember. One, did you get a transfer of your your life insurance? Did you, you know, does it have a, you know, can you bring it over? It, your 401k, did you transfer it over? Okay. And then all of a sudden people are like, wait, wait, what? Divorces the same way, marriages the same way, babies the same way. I mean, all of these little transitions of things that we do, they love to announce it for you. Like they literally give you a menu every single morning of changes. And that's the creative part of the work Mm. that we're able to look back. And then all of a sudden, and I love whenever, once in a while we get some people who say, oh, there's so many advisors here. You know, there are. So be the first, you know, the early bird gets the worm go out and do the reach out. And what's the worst will happen? You thought of me? How dare you thought of me and want to say congratulations? I mean, come on, that's silly. So we think about work a little bit more creatively and we have to be changing with the times and being a little bit more tech focused and a little bit more innovative that way. Sending out the mailers to go to the luncheon at the pasta house or whatever to talk about 401k. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. And I still see them. 
happening. And I think, oh boy, sometimes I actually reach out and go, hi, you want to have a conversation? <laughs> I do. You know, what's, what are they going to say? No. You think I haven't been told no before? I am like Teflon. Nothing sticks on the word no. I'm okay with that. So it's just a thought. But we do a lot of those. Being creative does not come naturally to a lot of people. We have a lot of moving parts. It is really okay to say, I'm not a very creative person. It is not okay to say, I don't have to be creative in my business Mm. because that is the first step to dying. Yep, so true. Gosh, Cheryl, I mean, you... You have so much going on all the time. Like, how do you choose, like, <laughs> like what groups are you involved with? Like, obviously, besides your own. Yeah. Like, do you ever venture outside? Like, where do you <laughs> find your people? Yeah. And what advice would you give to someone that's trying, a female like me, to find their community? Oh, my gosh. So I was on a Forbes chat recently. That I did a Forbes fireside chat recently. And that question came up from a young person. And I love it, love it, love it so much. Okay. Uh, yes, I do spend time in other groups. I do commit to at least five conferences a year speak. Wow. I'm doing seven this year. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I used to do 20. <laughs> I am not even joking. Holy moly. Yeah, 2016, there's 46 pictures of me next to a Marriott. You know, in the Marriott where they have in the bath, it's called bathroom art. And it's got the leaf with the little water drop. I guess that's <laughs> yeah. supposed to, you know, and there's a picture of me like, oh my gosh, selfing it out every day at the Marriott. So I used to do like 20 conferences. Yeah, I've, I've narrowed it down. Thank you, pandemic. I do want to pay tribute to a good thing that came from that. So I do spend time at, the, at those events. One of the things that I will tell you for young people listening to this, if you cannot afford to go to a conference, which I totally want to normalize that every you do not have to go to every conference, they are expensive. You do need to make a choice of what am I going to do? What am I going to get out of this? How am I going to network? The whole thing Mm -hmm. to make certain of the cost because you're talking about, for the most part, a minimum between airfare, hotel, food, ticket price, whatever, about three grand. Yeah, Yeah. minimum. It's about three grand on average, Mm -hmm. you know, minimum Mm -hmm. average, right? That's pretty expensive. Now I'm going to tell you about my early days. I just literally tweeted about this today. I remember I wanted to go to a conference. I was working for an event, working for a company, and they wouldn't let me go. So I was like trying to piggyback onto the company thing to go to the event because I really wanted to go to this event. So I reached out to the event coordinator, told them my situation, which was Dan Bolton at Risklize, And he gave me a ticket. Thank you, Dan Bolton, for believing in me. And I paid for my ticket. I took PTO and I met my company there. And they looked at me and they were like, and I said, oh, and I'm not working. This is my PTO. So I networked like a champ. And that's how I met Ross Marino and other people and things like that. That was a risk. You know, my Colby says I'm a fast start. You know, that's probably a quick start. That's probably not shocking to some, but who know me well. But I will also tell you that early business days when I couldn't afford all of those conferences. Yes, I did go to conferences and sit in the, in the hallways. I vividly remember sitting at the Gaylord in Dallas, Texas, couldn't afford the $2,300 ticket, but I did want to do some meetings while it was there. And it was worth it for me to do that. So you can do things a little, I want to normalize that dialogue for young people who are new and breaking into this. The other thing too, that I think that you can do from a community aspect to build your own community is if you're going to events that you're enjoying 
look at the people who are speaking and write their names down like old fashioned. I know old fashioned pen and paper, write their names down. Go look for them on LinkedIn. If you're on free LinkedIn, you can't do a ton of searching. Go to Google, put their name in and put LinkedIn. It will come up and then you don't get credit, you know, counted about that on your LinkedIn score. You then you can connect to them and say, hey, we were on this webinar together and I really liked what you shared. Could we connect? Write something. Don't let it do the same, whatever. You will build your own natural community, mm-hmm. lickety quick. But it is going to take a little bit of work from you at the beginning. And then what happens after time when people look at me and they say, how did you get 14,000 people on LinkedIn? I'm like, mm-hmm. because I remembered the early days of writing those people's names down and following up or reading an article and thinking, wow, I really liked what they shared and then reaching out. The propensity for people to connect is very high, especially on LinkedIn. Like, I'm not coming for you on Facebook. I feel like that's a little personal, okay? Mm -hmm. But I will reach out on LinkedIn, maybe follow you on Twitter, try to interact with you if I have something that's worthy of saying. It can happen. But I don't think we talk about the remember when we were younger and new in this business enough. A lot of people see where we're at and then they think, oh, that's just, no, 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 no. Right. No. Community is, we each have an ability to build something very special for ourselves. Do it. Mm -hmm. Do it. And guard it, like guard that like you would like a moat around a castle because the wrong people will try to penetrate your community because it's like you've built it and you've done the work and they want to come in and then like, "Ah." that's why we vet everybody because I am protecting that community at all costs to keep it wholesome and beautiful. Like you said, Rebecca. I'm so glad I I, I asked the the question, Um, you know, and then that also kind of trigger is a, a little triggering for me too, because it's like. Once you open yourself up to your community, you have an opportunity to also give back mm-hmm. and become a mentor to someone and also find a new mentor or another mentor for yourself. So it's all about, I feel like community is all about give and take. A lot of people, you know, you come into this like <gasps> me, 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 but you're really also sharing so much of yourself in that community too. Yes. So you just said, you just said the, okay, so there's a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant. Highly recommend, highly recommend because it talks to you about the importance of what that looks like. Because sometimes people give so much that they're, they empty their bucket mm-hmm. and they're dead mm-hmm. and they're done. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You got to chunk it out. Like you got to give and then you got to come back and charge, give, come back and charge. But there's another book that's called The Art of Work by Jeff Goins that I love. And it's the steps of getting to that mentorship where you started off as the apprentice and they become a teacher, they become a master. And you move through these, these different stages. We should always be mm. at a stage of learning someplace. Sometimes I'm, I'm still a learner. Like I'm still the apprentice. I'm going in and learning a new skill. I don't have the mastery level. Do I have mastery level of community building? You bet you I do. Did I put 10,000 plus hours into it? Absolutely, I did. Do I have a mentor in the space? Yes, I do. It's very important to be constantly in that space because I see a lot of, I call them on the ivory towers out there that are sitting down going, you should do this and you should do that and you should do that. And I think, really? I'm very transparent about, I have limited talents, okay? I, I cannot make mac and cheese out of the box, you know, with that little sauce and stuff. I don't even understand it's that. It's so bad for you. <laughs> don't eat it. Yeah, it, it. yeah, exactly. I figure when it comes out and it's in like a, it's in its powder form, like for real, like, and people are trying to give you the master, like how you have to mix it up first. I'm like, I'm not doing any of that. But I will tell you, I do know community well. Like this is one of my talents. And the thing that I see people making the most mistakes in community one, building something and, and never coming back to it. Like they'll build it up and then just disappear. Mm. And it's like, what happened? Your leadership is gone. 
do, you have to take your leadership seriously. You know, people are looking to you as a leader to lead them. If you think that's not true, I assure you that as soon as there's chaos, everybody looks to the one person who's loud and going, go this way, go this on the way in the boat. I mean, even if they're going the wrong way, people will follow them. Yeah. The Titanic, watch it, that happened, you know. And it's the truth, though. We, we need leadership. You know, you need to have content and, and engagement and stuff. You've got to understand the different pieces of where you fit in that. But I go back every time when I get frustrated with myself or if I, you know, think I'm not doing a good enough job or whatever, because we all have those little those places where we come up and we feel a little short and something. I go back to Jeff Goins' book and say, am I, am I the apprentice right now? Am mm. I the teacher? Mm. Am I the master? Am I, and where am I at right now? And I love that the book gives you permission to be in every one of those steps in a variety of different ways all the time. I'm going to have to check that out. It's amazing. Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, he's a beautiful writer. Yes, I'll definitely have to check that, that book out. I will say that that's really helpful, especially when women specifically are dealing with like, Oh, that tagline, imposter syndrome. Yeah. And really thinking about, well, you're not an imposter. You're just at this stage of growing and this stage of learning. I hear a lot about the word fail. Mm. And I stop people as soon as they say, oh, it's my fault. No, you learned. I failed at this. No, you learned. Even my grandchildren. I'll hear my little granddaughter, Avery, say, I messed up on this. No, baby, you didn't mess. You learned something. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to change the way my grandchildren are thinking so that we don't sit in failure for too long. Because you can, honestly, you can get stuck there for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of years, a couple of decades. Yeah. Yes. And I don't want to see young people today. And I look at, I take my role, you know, people know I love my grandkids. I love all of you. But if I could get paid to love on them the way, oh. I would be like, see ya, I got to go spend time with Jason <laughs> Carter. But, you know, seriously, I feel like you talk about mentoring. I feel like my role as a grandparent is one of a mentor. Absolutely. I sit with my grandchildren often and ask them lots of questions, you know, and they can pummel me with them and I don't get as annoyed as my kids do with, the, you know, it's just part of being a parent. For me, I'll sit and I'll ask them, why do you think that? Where did that come from? And all of a sudden, you will hear little children give you very distinct memories of stuff. And you have to change those, mm. the tapes they're playing in their head kind of a thing. But I'll also tell you this. When people ask about mentoring with me, I ask them this question. Are you an active mentor right now? And are you a mentee? If you cannot answer yes to both of those, you're not doing this profession a solid. And I, I stand on that hill. It is my job at 32 years in this profession to mentor other people. It is also my job to be a mentee and listen to those who've been here for 40 years, for 45 years. Mm -hmm. Even to the young people, the reverse mentoring that's happening, I listen to young people when they say, you know, you do it this way, but there's an easier way to do that. I see a lot mm -hmm. of closed ears mm -hmm. yeah, just because they're, oh, those millennials. <laughs> Stop. Hey. <laughs> I know. I love them. Are you kidding? I'm as efficient as I am because of millennials. You know, they like to get things done. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And I'll hear other people going, well, this is the way we've always done it. If you start a sentence off like that, stop. <laughs> so Cheryl, one more question on the community side of things. Yeah. Getting back to the fearless pledge, you know, as you mentioned, Smarter IA is a sponsor. Yes. Uh, how do other organizations get Aww. get involved to uh, to help support Females in Finance and, and the Fearless Pledge. I appreciate that. You, you literally can go to fearlesspledge.com and it'll take you right to the pledge. I'm always interested in organizations that do a really good job of hiring amazing people and keeping them. 
and going back to them and saying, how are you doing that? Would you be willing to mentor another company on how you do it? I think one of the things that's really special about financial services today today. I'm so happy that I work in this profession. I'm alive during a time when there's organizations like yours and others that are willing to give that information back openly and saying, so for example, when I go back to Riskalyze only because when I was there, Dan Bolton had shared, they have a nine-step hiring process for somebody. Think about that, nine steps. And it's because they have other people from other departments talking to them. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why when you go to that company, everybody's like a 10. Mm -hmm. Because they have been so through Carson Group, same thing. They're looking for very specific people, but they're also willing to share those practices with other companies to make certain that we are bringing in the very best talent. And I really think that's powerful when you look at the internship programs like Latinx and others, because we want to bring those young people through and in. Think about this. If we can get young people into a fintech company like yours through the Fearless Pledge or wherever else... And we are able to to keep them sustainably mm-hmm. innovative. Their minds are fresh, that they bring really cool ideas. They feel open to dialogue. I don't want them to leave and go, oh, don't work in financial services. Right. Think about it. We all know people who've said this. Yeah. Because of, you know, past whatever. So we have such a cool opportunity. And that's what Fearless Pledge is attempting to do is collect some of that, that data and collateral back in a way that's not, you know, not that I'm, you know, benefiting, but the community of financial services benefits. The future next gen is actually able to do better than the way we, you know, I want to leave it. It sounds very Girl Scottish and Boy Scottish. You know, I want to leave it the better than the way I found it, but it's the truth. That's my goal. Well, this is creativity, community and compliance. So we haven't gotten to the compliance (laughs) part yet. Bring it on. But let's do it. So let's do it. Now, you and I, just really briefly talked about the new marketing rule before. Yeah. So has potential to make a significant positive impact, allowing for testimonials and yeah, et cetera. So do you see it as a game changer and, and how do you mm-hmm. think people should be approaching it? I think that there's opportunity in everything that gets out, whether it's good or bad. I hate to say it like that. I think it's how you look at it. You know, what What are you can make use of it? Anything that opens us up to getting more testimonial, more people being able to say, but remember, people can say good things or they can say bad things. So there is a, a standard you have to hold yourself accountable to so that those coming in, you're not going to be able to control everybody saying wonderful, magical things about you all the time, right? So you have to take the the bad with the good, but I think there's a lot more good opportunity in this. One of the things that I get asked a lot about compliance, Mac, when you work in a creative role like I do, they think I naturally just don't like compliance. They're like, you're just out. And I'm like, actually, that's not true. I believe in, in, in corralling cats. Of course I do. There's chaos. If you think I don't, I love the stop sign at the end of my street because if I didn't have that and wasn't compliant to it, I would hit cars or end up in a ditch. Compliance has really good spaces right. in our life. Yes. It's the sort of control. I, they don't like the word control, but that's the best word I can come up with. But it gives not guidance because guidance is like a suggestion. It controls how we behave in a certain situation. I heard a police officer recently say on TikTok that the time to figure out what your plan is when someone is trying to break into your home is not the moment it's happening. It's have already had that dialogue ahead of time. And it's funny how I was listening to this and I was actually thinking about our call because I thought, how true is that? We need to have a plan in place before something goes wrong. 
right? Yes. So one of the things that I tell financial advisors and financial service professionals in our community at Females of Finance is that they need to have that plan in place. For example, a crisis plan. What happens when something goes bad? It's not the time when it's happening for you to come in and, and say that. A really good example is, and listen up, life insurance people. <laughs> I love you. I come from you. I'm cut from your same cloth, but we got stuff to talk about. I've watched a lot of insurance companies, insurance professionals. They really get bad mouth because many of them are not being very compliant in how they're talking about you know, products and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it really is upsetting to those CFPs out there in other professionals who have a compliance wrapper who's like, wait a second, that's a little crazy out there. Right. And I think that part of the problem on that side of it, and you guys can come at me and it's fine. Don't go to Mac, come to me, is that they get a little bit too snarky towards the people who are not under a compliance wrapper. And then the people who are not are saying just absolutely crazy. I think there's a, there should be, I believe that insurance people should have compliance as well. You know, and I know that that's going to every insurance person is like right now, but that's okay. It's because it's affecting the information ultimately the consumers are getting because that's who we really have to think about. Right. They don't know who to believe. And just take ourselves out of financial services. So let's go to weight loss. Are we supposed to eat eggs or not? Yeah. They're high in cholesterol, <laughs> but they're high in protein. That's a great example. Is it a good? Is it bad? I don't know. It depends on your situation, doesn't it? If your cholesterol is like, 400, maybe you shouldn't be eating an egg today. That's all I'm saying about that, you know? Or maybe just eat the white. Yeah, or just (laughs) take a statin like I do. It works, okay? So one of those things, though, that the consumers are so confused. And money is already confusing. Yes. If people were good at money, there wouldn't have been a report yesterday that said the couple went through $50 million lottery. They died. They blew through it. Wow. They blew through $50 million. $50 million. Can you imagine that? Right. And that's because they were already bad with money. So they were bad with five bucks. They were bad with 50 million bucks. It just doesn't matter. They don't have a difference there. Right. So this is where I think compliance really actually brings in an outside view to go, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea. Or, you know, this is the reason why we don't. Now, one of the things I will say, now let's get into the compliance. I hear from our professionals there are a variety of different compliance people out there. You have some who go, I hate social media, so therefore you're not ever doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, hold on. I think that's called a bias. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a little crazy. Then there's, a, I liken it to the tightrope. Let me tell you this. I talked about this at a smack event at a compliance event in New York. I want you to imagine compliance is the tightrope. If the compliance officer makes it too tight, it's just easy. You just walk right across it. Do, 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 do. If it's too lax, you're on it and you, I mean, you're going to fall off in a second because there's nothing to balance yourself on. But if that tightrope has a little bit of give and a little bit of pull and firmness to it, you can walk across. We've watched those people walk across the Grand Canyon, all their crazy stuff, right? Right. It's the compliance people making certain that that rope is safe to cross, but you are going to have to watch yourself at all times while you're doing it. Yeah. That's what I look at compliance as. Yeah. And I think a lot of professionals need it. And I think we need some who need more of it. Yes. yes. I'll be getting the hate mail. That's okay. <laughs> well, uh, compliance is a touchy subject. It is. It is. For a lot of people, it really is a dirty word. And the reason that I was excited about this business is it's a serious problem. Yeah. You know, people. Oh, Yeah. People who intend to do the right thing still have a hard time doing the right thing. 
sometimes. And so, you know, helping those folks to get compliance done faster is great. But, you know, more than that, uh, getting to what you were saying about the people who our industry is serving, we are protecting the wealth of future generations and helping people to have better retirements. And I mean, you know, it's, it's a real service to our society to have compliance made easy. I appreciate everything you just said. I spoke at an FPA Austin event a few years back. Bill Simone, who's a CFP down in Austin, had invited me. The gentleman who spoke before me was the ex-CFO of Enron. Do you know he teaches ethics today? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Okay, so hold on. I know. I'm sitting in the front row. I'll never forget. Rita Chang was sitting right next to me. So Margarita Chang was sitting right next to me. She's on my advisory board now, too. But we were sitting there, and he got up. The first thing he did is apologized which I thought was really, you know, like it was really powerful to watch cool. it. Yeah, it was. And he said, you know, Enron didn't collapse because of a something big. It started off with just maybe not looking at that so closely. It started off with the small things, like you just said, Mac. It's the small things. The small becomes bigger, it becomes bigger. And you know what? If I go back to the weight loss or the weight gain thing. It's the same thing, too. It's like, I'm just going to have a bite of this. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to have a nibble of that. I'm just going to have a whatever. And the next thing you know, you're eating the a whole- bites and the nibbles. You're 300 pounds. Yeah, you're eating the whole tray of brownies, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're gone. So that's exactly what happened with Enron. So if it could happen with Enron, could it happen in your practice? Ask yourself that seriously. If I just look sideways to this or I don't go all the way on that, is it, you know, it's amazing to me. Even an organization like ours, I mean, I have an attorney. I have, you know, I have things that I'm compliant to. We have privacy notices. And mm-hmm. I'm amazed when I find out, I'll listen to a professional who tells me they have like no privacy standards on their thing or they have no E&O. And I literally just have to stop and go, I'm sorry, what? Like, I don't even understand that. So this is where the work that you're talking about and analyzing it and looking at it from, I think from the consumer's point of space, but also the legal part of that too. Like, okay, wait a second. Did you know that this could happen here or that could happen there? We don't know what we don't know. And I do want to say one other thing too about the compliance, what I love about you. You all had to sit back as compliance officers and watch all these people run away from their broker dealers. You're not going to be the boss of me. And then they go out and become a registered investment advisor. And then they sit back and they're like, I need, I need a boss. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Is this accurate? Is this like an accurate depiction right now? I would say when COVID hit and 2020, yeah. there were so many, I mean, now, I mean, still now, right? But yeah. so many were coming out of the woodwork, specifically in Florida. I don't know what it is about Florida yeah. State. Yeah. And maybe everybody <laughs> wanted to just like escape wherever they were from and go to sunny Florida <laughs> and open up their own RIA. <laughs> but yes, they came out in droves. We had so many people come to us. Yeah. And it is. And it's, and you know what it is? We need the stop sign. Look at yourselves as that. Seriously, everybody who's listening right now, when you look at a compliance officer, don't look at them as, oh, they're mean to me or stop. Literally, it's a stop sign. And all it's doing is making you take a pause and make certain you're making the right decision. That's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. It really is. That people get, I feel like sometimes you guys, I feel bad for you because you know, they came from a terrible compliance situation and then you guys get them. And they're like traumatized, like you're getting post-traumatic compliance disorder. You know, (laughs) they're like, well, the other person said I can't do this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, hold on a second. You know, and you're having to almost like therapy wise go through and say, hold on, 
this is what, and I will also say too, that financial advisors have a real big tendency to have selective hearing. Like I can say this after 12 years, I was a life insurance underwriter. Trust me, selective hearing is real. You know, that they heard you say no to everything when you didn't, you said no to this piece. Right. And I do think that good compliance gives suggestions on how else to do things. Like you can't do it this way, but you can do it that way. If this, then that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that we normalize that there's good compliance people, good compliance companies out there, you need to partner with those. And yes, for the financial advisors, it is worth your money to pay them to protect you. Uh, Spend your money in this space yeah. because this is money well spent long term. Trust me, because I, I can tell you right now, I'm actively working with an advisor who has a compliance problem. And it's nothing on this particular advisor's fault. It was something that they partnered with somebody else and whatever. These are very real scenarios. And had that both of them had the right compliance structure in place, it would be a non-issue today. Yeah. Well, we're about an hour and 15 minutes in or something like that. And And we could honestly, Cheryl, we could sit here and talk to you all day. Like I'm so engaged. Just cut it out. Just just go slice and dice it up. So. Uh, People are going to be like, I listened to that podcast. You were talking about something. The next thing I know, you were just talking about something else. It was great. It was awesome. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Same year. We're bringing compliance. We're going to make compliance sexy. Ooh. Did you just go all Justin Timberlake uh, on us? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How are we going to make compliance sexy? That's Oh, that's, God. I don't know, Cheryl. That's a big stretch. <laughs> that is a little bit of a stretch. I don't think so. We can make it less complex and easier to understand. Sexy? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think that there's a lot of people out there living in the world of sketchy, but they need to just be edgy. Ooh. And that's where the sexy part comes mm-hmm. in, you know, is you don't want to be out there you know, leaving yourself completely open to a problem. But you can be edgy and innovative. You just, this is where compliance comes in and says, okay, hold on, let's, you know, work together to get you into that space. Yeah. I really believe in that. Yeah. That's a great way to uh, to finish this talk. I just had a marketer say, I like compliance people. <laughs> I feel like we just got a, a gold star, Mac. I don't, I don't know about you. But. I think we did. There's my unicorn. She's right there in the background. <laughs> I'm a unicorn, man. This is it. You know, I say it every time. But no, seriously, I love what you guys do. And you actually, uh, one thing I hope you keep in this podcast, you actually do care about your users of your platform. Yes. You actually do care about them. And that's a big difference to me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, Cheryl, uh, Rebecca, do you want to take us out? Sure. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much. So very much for joining us. You've been an absolute delight. And for our listeners benefit, what is the best way they can connect with you? Yeah, defeat, well, femalesandfinance.com. Just Cheryl at in that regard, but just go there and poke around and have fun. There's lots of stuff. There's lots of resources out there for everyone. Yeah. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. Thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate you both very, very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creativity, Community, and Compliance. This podcast is brought to you by Smarter IA and produced by Turncast. Smarter IA is an award-winning compliance management platform for compliance consulting firms and RIA networks. If you want to learn more about Smarter IA, visit our website at smarteria.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
And if you enjoy jamming out with creativity, community, and compliance, subscribe to get notified for each new episode. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.